Welcome back for episode 29 in our study of the book of Revelation. This episode is called The Seventh Trumpet. I'm Sam Bracken, your host, and our teacher is Dr. Breck England, who is discussing the book of Revelation through the lens of the temple. We've been discussing the seven angels who blow seven trumpets of judgment. We've talked about six of the angels, and today we will discuss what happens when the seventh angel sounds his trumpet, and I can hardly wait. <laughs> right. Remember that everything the priesthood does in the temple of Jerusalem is supposed to reflect what goes on in the heavenly temple above, because God's house is a temple. Well, each morning of the week, the priests in Jerusalem would start the day by sounding a trumpet that could be heard all over the city. It was like the morning wake-up call. Right, right. This trumpet called all the people to prayer. So you were supposed to stop what you were doing and face the temple. It's the morning prayer. You know, what's interesting is that the Muslims still do this. They do. Um, they get a call to morning prayer, and yep. everybody stops what they're doing, yep. at least in very faithful Muslim areas. Mm -hmm. And they, they all stop what they're doing, and they all bow towards Mecca, mm -hmm. which is their temple, mm -hmm. and they... Um, and they pray. So this is morning prayer, all right? Mm -hmm. uh, the trumpet called all the people to prayer, so you're supposed to stop, face the temple, and then the priests would chant a certain psalm that was designated for that day. And after a week, the cycle would begin again the next week. Anyway, on the seventh day of the week, which was the Sabbath, the seventh priest would sound his trumpet and read Psalm 92 to the people who um, encircled the temple, right? Uh, remember that a psalm is a prayer. Mm -hmm. So everyone is involved now in a kind of prayer circle, okay? So if you can picture that. Mm -hmm. So he's reading Psalm 92 on the Sabbath morning. Psalm 92 is particularly significant because it was to remind the people that judgment was coming. So could you read from Psalm 92 for us? Can. O Lord, how great are thy works, and thy thoughts are very deep. A brutish man knoweth not, neither doth a fool understand this. When the wicked spring as the grass, and when all the workers of iniquity do flourish, it is that they shall be destroyed forever. But thou, Lord, art most high forevermore. Thine enemies shall perish. All thy workers of iniquity shall be scattered. But my horn shall thou exalt like the horn of a unicorn. I shall be anointed with fresh oil. The righteous shall flourish like the palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. And that's from Psalm 92. Isn't that beautiful it is, language? It is beautiful language. language. Yeah. So let me summarize this. The priest is praying that the people will remember that judgment is coming and, and that there are two kinds of people in the world, the workers of iniquity and the workers of righteousness. And there are two kinds of workers of iniquity. The Lord calls them fools Brutes. Brutes. Yeah, brutes. <laughs> okay. Brute. I've been called a brute sometimes. I'm like, that's not a compliment. <laughs> no. 
well, the fools are people who don't think or care about judgment, right? And, and brutes are people who actively try to destroy the happiness of other people. Right. So on the one hand, you have the fools, and on the other hand, you have the brutes. brutes. And that's yeah. the Lord's language, not mine. Okay. Right, right. Um, during the 42 days, or weeks, or months, or years, or whatever, of tribulation... The psalm says that the, quote, workers of iniquity will flourish like weeds and spring up like grass. The 42 months are, let's pay attention here, the great day of Satan's power, where he's free to trouble us, to afflict us, to try to persuade as many of the posterity of Adam and Eve as possible to be workers of iniquity. That's what he wants. So that this is the day of his power. Mm-hmm. And he promises all kinds of things. He promises prosperity. Remember, he says you can have anything for money and he has plenty of it. Right, right. right. But Psalm 92 says that the weeds are going to be uprooted and destroyed. And meanwhile, the workers of righteousness will be anointed. Kings and queens, priests and priestesses in the courts of our God, it says where they will thrive like trees. So there's a nice contrast between the weeds, the wicked, and the beautiful trees who are the righteous. God gives three promises in this verse to the, uh, to the righteous. First, their horn shall be exalted like the horn of a unicorn. Now, I don't know why the, the boys who did the King James Version translated that word as unicorn. <laughs> there aren't any of those. But the, but the Hebrew word here is rehem, which, uh, which means a wild ox. Okay? So he's saying that the horn, your horn shall be exalted as that of a wild ox, which was about the strongest animal they knew about. Mm-hmm. Okay? The horn in... Scripture represents power and authority. So this is a promise of priesthood power. Okay. Second promise, they will be anointed with oil, which signifies their royal status as kings and queens. Okay. Mm-hmm. And third, they will flourish like the palm tree or the cedar of Lebanon. Um, both great symbols of fruitfulness. So this is the promise of great posterity, okay? Mm-hmm. In other words, they shall be kings and queens. That is the righteous. They shall be kings and queens, priests and priestesses to a great posterity. So, Sam, I want to ask you, mm-hmm. what do those promises mean to you? Boy, that's a pretty sacred question. The first thing that comes to my mind is that it helps me understand that I am a son of God, a literal son of God, not an afterthought, not just one of billions. And the second thing that comes to me is that my potential to receive all that Father has is unlimited. That if I'll just keep at it, if I'll just keep getting better, if I'll keep my covenants, then I'll receive all that Father has. What I have found in my life When I've done my part, he's literally picked me out of hell and placed me in posterity, in prosperity, and it has changed my days. And it is so literal for me that it's going to be 
probably most of what I need to to endure to the end. I don't I don't see that ever going away. It's just that it's been so enormous in how much he's blessed me in my life. It just it just proves to me the plan of salvation is real and the things I have waiting for me if I'm faithful are are numerous and and unlimited and that I'll literally be a, a king um along with my wife Kim who'll be a queen and our posterity will continue forever. Um, once we finish this mortal journey or this time of 42 time periods and in, in, in the time of the time of uh, challenge, you know, the challenge period. But anyway, that's what comes to my mind. Um, I, I feel much the same way when I consider uh, these promises to be a king and queen, priest and priestess with a great posterity. I consider that to some that may sound like a, not very attractive, but to me, a king in the sense that the Lord is king means that it is not a, you're, you're not reigning over people, you are helping them, you're ministering to right, them. Right, right. Um, they rely on you as their great help and minister, and um, that's what I hope to to be, and that, I think, is what this promise uh, uh, refers to. Yeah. Well, I rely on you as my friend to help me <laughs> to bring me light and truth all the time. So, and 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 I feel the same about you. Um, so the people in Jerusalem heard this Psalm ninety-two read to them every Sabbath morning, when the seventh trumpet of the week was sounded. So the seventh trumpet reminds us that judgment is coming. And we have an important choice to make. Mm. Uh, that's That was in the Jerusalem temple. Now, in Revelation, John hears the seventh trumpet in the heavenly temple. So the same thing is happening in heaven. And the announcement is made that the Lord is winning. He is taking over the kingdom of Satan bit by bit. And the council in heaven rejoices at this as we hear in Revelations 11, 15 through 18. Would you mind reading that for us? Sure. And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders, which sat before God on their seats, fell upon their faces and worshiped God saying, We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and wast the art to come, because thou hast taken, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and hast reigned. And the nations were angry, and thy wrath is come, and the time of the dead, they that should be judged, and that thou shouldest give reward unto thy servants the prophets, and to the saints, and them that fear thy name, small and great. And thou shouldest destroy them which destroy the earth. In their synagogues, the Jews still blow that ram's horn, the seventh trumpet, on the Day of Atonement, which is the, a holy day to them, the holy day they call Yom Kippur, that falls every year on or around the first day of autumn. It is the trumpet of judgment. Right. At sunset, they blow the trumpet. And when they hear it, 
the congregation shouts praises to the Lord seven times, just as the heavenly chorus does in Revelation 11, 15 through 18. So this goes on every year. Right, right. Okay, in, the, in a Jewish synagogue, if you went there on the Day of Atonement, you would hear the trumpet blown, and you'd hear the people shout praises just like they do in Revelation 11. Now, anciently, in the Temple of Jerusalem, on the Day of Atonement, the 24 quorums of priests faced the altar of the temple and bowed down just like they do in Revelation eleven sixteen, when it says the four and 20 elders fell on their faces. Okay, So again, this is simply what happens on the Day of Atonement in the heavenly temple. Mm-hmm. Remember that the 24 priests represent what? They represent all the quorums of the priesthood. Right. As they bowed, the high priest sacrificed on the altar, and then he would enter the Holy of Holies alone. And there he would offer up the blood of the sacrifice as a symbol of the blood of the Savior's atonement. Okay. Now, in Revelation, John sees this same ordinance performed in the heavenly temple. But then there's an earthquake and something very significant happens. Uh, Could you read for us uh, Revelation 11, verse 19? And the temple of God was opened in heaven, and there was seen in his temple the ark of his testament. And there were lightnings and voices and thunderings and an earthquake and great hail. Now remember that at the crucifixion of Christ, the veil of the temple was torn into, rent in twain, it says. And the earth did quake, Uh, Matthew 27. Likewise, in Revelation 11, the same thing happens. The temple of God is opened in heaven. And suddenly, the Ark of the Covenant is visible to everyone, where only the high priest could enter once a year. Now, all Israel could access the Holy of Holies. Uh, or the Ark of the Covenant is a token of the Savior. In other words, everybody is now welcome to go through the veil. How was the Ark of the Covenant a symbol of the Savior? Okay, the Ark of the Covenant, as maybe you remember from the Indiana Jones movies. Yeah, there's a new one coming out next mm-hmm. week. Was a <laughs> yes. I'm excited about watching it. Oh, me too. I can, <laughs> can't wait. Uh, the Ark of the Covenant was a box kept inside the Holy of Holies in Solomon's temple. Now, inside the box were three important tokens of the covenant, a pot of manna, Aaron's rod that blossomed, and the tables of the Ten Commandments. The pot of manna symbolized the bread of life, which is Christ. Aaron's rod represented the power of Christ, or the priesthood. And then there were the Ten Tables of the Covenant, which is the law of God by which we are judged. So with the veil open and the ark revealed, suddenly storm clouds surge up and the earth trembles at the voice of the great judge, just as he did at Mount Sinai. And the unveiling of the ark indicates that eternal life is now open to everyone. But it also indicates storm indicates that the destruction of evil is at hand. In the scriptures, 
the Day of Atonement, or what the Jews call Yom Kippur, is a day of mercy for the repentant. But it is also a day of judgment for the unrepentant. Right. And the heavenly chorus in chapter 11, verse 18, announces that God will, quote, destroy them which destroy the earth. That is the corrupt, wasteful, and perverse. The fools and the brutes <laughs> who, right. are, who are responsible for the decreation yep. of the earth. But there is hope as well. The great uh, French theologian Jacques Ellul says this, Judgment and recreation are the two faces of the atonement, or the Kippur. And the book of Revelation mentions them as the two vectors of faith during the last days. In other words, there will be judgment, but there will also be a recreation of the earth, a total renewal of the earth as in its paradise state. So with the seventh trumpet, he says, we have passed to a totally different stage in the 42 days. We are now driven into a corner, and we must decide which way to go. The 42 days go by quickly, and we have to make our choice. So in our next episode, we're going to discuss the great war in heaven. And that's a passage in Revelation chapter 12. That should be interesting.